Welcome to the Hustle or Bust podcast powered by Paver Art. Our mission is simple, to dive deep into the world of entrepreneurship, small business, and all the success, struggle, and challenges that need to be confronted in the pursuit of growth. We celebrate the entrepreneurial spirit, but perhaps most important, we want you to learn at least one idea that you can put into action immediately to make your investment in time worthwhile. Welcome to episode 31 of the Hustle or Bust podcast. On this episode, we are pleased to chat with Mike Legregni, the owner of the Veteran Woodco. We dive into his backstory, which is really fascinating. It's a combination of military experience, law enforcement, and all things love for the maker community. It is easy to see why Mike has real traction in the initial years of his new business. We hope you enjoy it and drop us a line with some feedback. Today, we want to welcome a gentleman by the name of Michael Legregni, and he is the owner-operator of, yes, take a bow, he's the owner-operator of uh, the Veteran Wood Company, and amongst other things, uh, he's a Marine veteran, retired police officer, amongst many other things, based on a little bit of a deep dive into your background. So, Michael, welcome. Thank you for having me, gentlemen. Oh, we're, we're, we're happy to have you today. Um, now, uh, Mark, can you give us an idea of how you, how did you discover sure. Michael? It, classic social media. Mike, I think I discovered you. It was, I followed you on Instagram, maybe for like, you know, classic lurker, right? I'm following you for six months and uh, kind of dig. I think the first thing that I, that caught my attention with you you did some Friday night. I think it was a glass. You, you cracked open a bottle of red, right? <laughs> I did. And you start doing it. And it was the first time I saw someone do that. And I knew you were kind of a maker. So you automatically hit my attention screen. And I'm a big red wine fan, right? So you crack open okay. a bottle of wet. And I'm like, Kim, my wife, this is the coolest thing. Come over here and look at this. And you're <laughs> you're doing a Q&A. I forgot what, what the topic was, but it was pretty cool. You remember that? I don't know. If that's I do. So, routine of yours. so that started that started with COVID. I was never one for the camera. Um strictly posted like like you guys I, I kept my content uh related to my product and then sure. when covid came we couldn't go out to dinner anymore all the restaurants were shut down mm-hmm. and we all kind of got antsy and my wife and i's thing was always like dinner and a glass of red or two on friday night like Pinot noir so then that transitioned over to like well what's this live button do on instagram yeah you know? and then i have, have a glass of wo- uh, wine with me so we called it wooden wine That's so cool. it was friday night live it was, it wasn't really, it wasn't really scripted. It was more like, come as you are, like, let's talk about whatever it is you want to talk, no religion, no politics. And just, you know, talk about shop, talk about projects, talk about me, talk about you. And it, it kind of got traction in it. It took off and we would end up with like 30 or 40 people on at night. And everyone would be either cheersing, drinking, watching, driving, wherever they were in the world. And uh, it was a lot of fun. So we did that for almost about a year, every Friday or so. Uh, until it kind of like dwindled off and COVID, you know, went yeah. away. Now, sure. And I remember we were trying to get together for the longest time during COVID. And I think I got COVID and then you might've gotten it one yeah, we trying yeah. to get together in your shop. But did that, did that build, cause you're, you've got a nice following on social media. Did that help you build a following or was that just kind of th- something you did for fun? No, it was kind of like a thing. Um, yeah, I'd say it didn't really help. It, it definitely didn't hurt. Um, but it was just kind of like a thing like to keep me busy, to keep us from going crazy and to keep that like community um, sense of you know 
having a drink and interacting with people, socializing, but not really being able to get out. So kind of what we did. Uh, Mike Bull, that's that's how uh, I met Mike, is the classic social media following and kind of intrigued. And uh, we started a little bit of a dialogue. But Mike, why don't you give your background? Give us your backstory before we get into how you started your business and kind of what brought you here today. Tell us a little bit about your background. All right. Um, background, um, born and raised in Paramus, New Jersey. Uh, grew up playing hockey my whole life. Cool. Um, joined the Marine Corps when I was 17, prior to 9-11. Um, <clears throat> initial job in the Marine Corps. I was an aircraft mechanics because I've always in, enjoyed mechanics, if you couldn't tell. And um, after 9-11, switched over jobs to embassy security. We had Marine security guard duty, which is the duty. And did that for a few years, did a couple different embassies overseas, working as like a diplomatic security Marine. And then uh, I got out in 2006, <clears throat> put myself through college, criminal justice, uh, up here in Bergen County, New Jersey. And worked as a commercial HVAC technician for a couple of years, again, using my hands, mechanics. And then transitioned to law enforcement. I got hired in 2010 uh, for a small town up in Bergen County, New Jersey. Worked there for just over nine years, uh, all the while always holding like a part-time job. Uh, police was, you know, it was more than enough, but, you know, we have a lot of time off. So there'd be a lot of downtime. So I, I ran a uh, jujitsu academy for, uh, for about four or five years. I was the general manager of a jujitsu school. And then I also helped uh, my buddy who owns a low voltage uh, data and cable company. We did that also for a couple of years. And then in um, 2019, I left my police department and started working for myself. So it started as a hobby, started real slow, um, married, bought a house, uh, owned the basic chop saw, table saw, things that you know every homeowner should own if you plan on fixing a couple things. And then my wife had asked me at some point in our marriage, she's like, can you make a, uh, a wooden American flag for the house? Like just decor. And I was like, yeah, no problem. I could do that. Like... I could do everything other than like carve the stars because that's like the, we don't know how to do that yet. So I cut some stripes. I cut the union. I bought stars at Michael's. And then uh, that led me down the rabbit hole of posting it on Facebook. Somebody asking how much it's, it's, is it for sale? And then, yes, I'll make you one. Great. How much? And then I'm Googling how much an American flag that's wooden, that's 50 inches wide costs. Then that led me down the road to the local lumber yard, which uh, has a CNC machine. I had never seen one. This is in 2019, um, which I met this gentleman by the name of Chris. He showed me how a CNC machine worked, uh, computer, and then two, you know, spinning bits that carve certain designs. Bought my own CNC machine after using Chris a few times. I bought a small, uh, it was like about $2,000. Brought it in my garage, at which time my cars were parked in here. This is, I'm in my garage right now. And I uh, had cars in here, pushed the cars out, built a little workbench for uh, myself. CNC machine, laptop. And I started doing that uh, part-time, still while going to work full-time. And then I started seeing the potential of income that I was walking away from every day as I pulled out going to work. Like I would literally pull out going to work, looking forward to a commute, traffic, tolls, you know, like buying, like all, this, all the day commuting to work. And I'd be looking in my garage while I'm backing out of my driveway saying like, there's an easy X amount of dollars sitting here today that I'm walking away from that I could potentially be making and uh once i left my police department i made the decision of going full-time for myself in uh, july of 2019 so that's where I, we are it's you know that's amazing to me when when and when i said before basically what haven't you done is, a, is an easier question to answer um uh, but the um you know 
what we do here is essentially what you do there. Small business. Uh, we we bang it every day. Uh, we're you know we're we're dealing one on one with customers. I mean we're you know they're 10, 11, 12 hour days. You're doing the same thing. Um, uh, you're growing your business that way too. And I, you know, what is what would you consider as a small business owner? Because quite frankly, a lot of the people that listen to this uh, podcast, that's essentially who we're trying to to draw in. Uh, and give them some advice. But what what's what's the biggest one? What would you consider the biggest challenge that you have um, when you're talking about running the day to day business? What's your time biggest management. challenge? Time management. There's there's not enough hours in the day. At some point, you know, like it gets it gets dark too early. Sun comes up too late. Um, yeah, and still managing your life, like whether you're married or you have kids or you have dogs. Uh, you may hear them in the background, like time management in terms of like, did you get everything you needed to get done today for the business? Also, how's your personal life? How is your personal finances? How is your health? How is your wellness? Like, are you making time to go to the gym still? Like, are you making time for your spouse? Are you going to dinner? Like, are you, is everything in balance or is it pure chaos? And is it work, 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 work all the time? And everything else is kind of goes by the wayside. So that for me, finding that balance is the hardest. Well, how, how long did you, you said 2019 was your start, Mike? For yeah, for for Veteran Wood Co. was 2019. Yeah. Did you straddle between work and did you kind of like do do them both at the same time for a period of time or? I did. Yeah. There was um, there was probably a, th and it was short. Um, it was probably I formally left law enforcement. Mm, transitioned into low voltage full time, and we could talk about the low the, the law enforcement thing. Um, transitioned to low voltage full time. I was a foreman for a low voltage company, pulling wire, running cameras, like managing data systems. And we were, we were in Jersey city. We were in Brooklyn. We were in the Bronx. We were in Manhattan. We were all over like that side of Jersey, which I did not enjoy. And the commute alone was enough for me to quit. But when I saw the amount of money that I had potentially sitting in my garage after a few months, I, that's when I gave my two weeks, I said, listen, it was a good friend of mine too. I, uh, I've known him for years. I said, listen, you know, I love what I do for you. I don't like where I work. Unfortunately, I hate the commute, the tolls, the gas, it was pain in the ass, long hours. And it's essentially you're, you're a contractor. Like I'm, you're working out in the elements. You're working on rooftops some days. Uh, you're cold, you're wet, you're hot. And I said, I'm going to try this, this small business thing full time. And he wished me luck. We still keep in touch. I made him with some signs actually. Um, but it, it did, there was a cushion period there. There was a, a three month back and forth with part-time work mm -hmm. at which time. And I didn't just go full time. And what we could talk about this. Like I didn't just go full time with the equipment I had. It was, I made a conscious decision financially to invest a lot of money into the equipment you see behind me to hit the ground running uh, because I was kind of already uh, maximizing the equipment I had's capability at the time. And I knew I couldn't push the, the small little machine and the CNC I had any faster or harder than I could. And I, I had people asking for larger signs. So I knew in order to do this full time, I had to take that investment and reinvest it back to myself. Yeah, I was going to say, because that machine sitting behind you over your shoulder, that's not a $2,000 machine. No, this was this is a Stepcraft. It's Q four hundred eight is the model. Um, they're designed in and designed in Germany. Um, depending on where you order from, what country? They're a German owned company with a West based headquarters, kind of like BMW, like sure. BMW in North America, BMW uh, Germany. Uh, this one is assembled in Connecticut. The parts are shipped over. Some parts, like the spindle, for example, is U.S. made. Some of the motors are U.S. made, um, and it's it's about a twenty five thousand dollars machine, give or take. You know, depending on when you buy it, it's fully loaded. It's in what I consider the best residential four by eight machine that you can get. Cause again, 
working with, you know, I'm not on three phase electric, I'm on single phase 220. So it's like your, your limitations are there. It's not the best CNC machine in the world by any means, but for a, a plug in the wall that you don't have to do anything special for, you're not going to beat it. What was, what was your tipping? What was the tipping point that made you go over to doing this full time? You know, was it, was it, you know, was it your wife? Did she tell you to do it? Did she say, no. you, know, you know where I'm going with this? Um, yeah, you know, was, we all have to make that decision. And when you, you know, when you have a spouse, that spouse is as much of that decision, you know, especially for a small business person um, as your decision. And what was your tipping point? What made you go over? <laughs> what made you go over to the dark side uh, and my, start to do this full time? My wife definitely gets all the credit in terms of that initial spark. Uh, she has always told me, I've had friends tell me this for years, um, that I should always work with my hands. Like I've always, the entire time I've been a cop, I've always done projects. I've built cars, race cars, you name it. Like I still do it. It's a hobby of mine going to California next week to race cars. Um, it's always been a hobby of mine to turn wrenches or create something of, of substance yeah, uh, at some point. So I wouldn't say it came out of nowhere. I've always kind of been told that I should be using my mind and my hands to to create a living rather than just, you know, pull the pension, get a ticket, you know, give a ticket, whatever it is, be a law enforcement officer, which I love. I love the concept of service, law enforcement, providing safety, security. I loved it. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, but I did feel myself kind of being pushed like, Hey, you, you should really try general contracting. You should try um, my, I, I established a general contracting. I did like four LLCs. I couldn't figure out which one I wanted to do. It was uh, general contracting was one and it was named after my wife. Then I did a low voltage one, which was a, a different name. Uh, and then I did Veteran Woodco was the third one. And this was like the random one. The other two names I had picked out, like they were they were clear visions I had. And then Veteran Woodco, I'm like, well, I want to do something with this. And I just put into like a, a Google search engine and it gave me a name. And I was like, that sounds kind of sexy, Veteran Woodco. So I ran with it. Um, the the I'd say the straw that broke the camel's back was my experience in, law in local law enforcement uh, and how frustrated I was with administration and the bureaucracy that goes with having just a regular day-to-day -day job. And sure. I was really, really looking. Um, I was looking at some friends of mine that I've known for a long time that had been self-made entrepreneurs, successful business owners. And I kind of was envious of the the freedom they had uh, and, and the, the, the amount of mobility and laterally left and right they could go. And it's their business. They can do whatever the fuck they want. Excuse me. Are we allowed to curse here? Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. So I was, I, that was kind of the tipping point was like, you know, I was, I kept going to work part-time, um, full-time and part-time doing this and the, the work, my, my workload was just piling up and I was doing craft shows at the time. This is pre COVID was like craft shows. Like I was doing summer shows, like, you know, um, Oktoberfest and I bring a tent and I display a bunch of products. And, um, it was just a matter of frustration. I'd say like just frustrated with the commute and the tolls and the work and the wire and the inc incompetent people that I was overseeing. Like it was really frustrating. And I said, you know what? F it. I'm, I'm going to try this myself full time. Sure. And the first month I had the work. It wasn't that first month. That was the problem. It was maintaining that work throughout the months and then finding out the the flow of things and you know, how January and February suck um, year after year. And you know, it wasn't, it wasn't, <clears throat> That first month, that was that first month was easy because I had to work kind of piling up like a dam almost. But once that water kind of like leveled out is when I found myself struggling, like which was like almost year one, year, year, year and a half. This like, is it, great information. This is great information. Great information. So I, 
I can just keep going into it. Um, I want to say that initial investment came, my first CNC machine was July, 2019, cost me $2,000. I paid it off within like a few weeks, like really within a few, I was like, all right, that was easy. Um, and then I had people requesting money or not money. I had people requesting shop signs that were, you know, five times that amount of the CNC machine, like $10,000 jobs. And I was like, well, I'll never be able to do this. And I'm not a big fan of outsourcing work, even if it's to another shop, um, especially if it's overseas. I just don't like the, the idea of outsourcing if you have the capability of doing it. So that's when I took that, that financial investment into myself really seriously and dumped about a hundred grand into the garage. And that includes full electrical rewiring. Uh, full insulation, insulated doors and mirrors, uh, sorry, insulated doors uh, and windows, um, sub panel circuitry, lights, uh, ventilation, uh, something that I'd be comfortable that I'd want to work in here every day where I wouldn't mm -hmm. get fresh, wouldn't you know, get sick of it. Uh, it wouldn't be unattractive. I could shoot, you know, I could do film in here, photography, and it looks good. And uh, then I brought in all the equipment and <clears throat> the equipment was probably like 75 to $80,000, you know, I had to level my slab in the garage because the slab was was off level. Um, yeah. And then once that came, I brought this machine. I, I actually teamed up with Stepcraft. I hadn't known them previously. I'm now one of their brand ambassadors. I'm a, I'm a reseller for Stepcraft. I brought them in. The owner came here. This is just when uh, COVID kicked off. Uh, he personally delivered the machine, trained me up on it. it took about 30 minutes. It was very, um, very seamless from the old X-Carve to the new Stepcraft. It was a very, very seamless transition uh, all, only thing is different is the machine's a different color. That's it. And I was up and running within the first week. Uh, businesses were up and running. This machine was paid off within three weeks. Like it was, it was, I had big, like three big government contracts landed really quickly for like different embassies down south and over overseas. And then, um, you find like it comes in waves. And then, you know, it did well for the first few months. I set up my Etsy stores, I set up my website. Um, you know, you get your LLC filed, that had already been done. And then there were low points. The low points came where the phone wasn't ringing and I wasn't getting the emails. And there was one time where I had to go to my wife and I said, I need you to cover the mortgage payment this month. You know, and it took a lot for me to say that. Like it hurt. Like sure. I felt like less of a husband. Um, but there was one or two times where I asked her, I was like, listen, and she's got a great career. She makes a great salary, but I, I would never want to rely on her uh, as we shouldn't. And it sucked to go to her and say, listen, you know, this is what happens when you own your own company. Like I can't force people in here. I'm not taking my own paycheck. Like nobody's paying me on it on Friday. So, but things just seem to have recovered. Um, COVID had zero effect on us that I think that time was maybe during COVID, but it didn't, it wasn't a long, a long standing period. It was very short, maybe a month or two where it was like, we didn't, we didn't have any traction this month. Like nobody's buying anything. Sure. Um, and things have gotten a lot better since then. So we're still here. Um, during COVID, after that recovery, uh, I started looking at commercial leasing spaces, like uh, to buy myself a shop. Uh, I looked at like some properties to buy, then I looked at some properties to rent, and then uh, I kind of held off. Uh, I didn't like the numbers where where we are. And you guys can relate. Being in New Jersey, you yeah. know it's expensive. Mm -hmm. um, Talked to some friends out of state that are down south, that are in Texas, that are in the Carolinas, and they're paying a fraction of what we pay per square foot, um, if that. So the, the, the numbers weren't very attractive. And I couldn't really justify the numbers uh, based on my income at the time. So I kind of held off. And then this past year, we re revisited that again, where we're looking for spaces. And of course, real estate's gone up because everyone moved out of the city. And now this is the place to live. So I'm kind of in that weird spot right now. I'm, I'm, I'm not bursting at the seams quite yet. Um, I've got enough work to keep me busy for two to three months. Um, I thoroughly, 
thoroughly enjoy what I do. I, we didn't even talk about what I do yet. We just kind of got right into it, but I thoroughly enjoy what I do. Uh, I have an apprentice that comes a couple of days a week. Um, and I'm looking forward to, if there is like a version 2.0, I'm really looking forward to what that will be. Well, why don't we talk a bit about your, your support system? Okay. Obviously going to your product, and, your product yeah. and absolutely talk about your product. I mean, that's, I think that's very, very important. <laughs> Any good, um, yeah, when we started this business, we had good people starting the business. I mean, we had uh, three guys who had um, uh, had uh, came had come from areas that complemented each other when we started. Okay, you're basically doing this. You started this business on your own. Do you have a support system? And if you do, go into that a little bit. Talk to talk to us about that because every small business owner for the most part, has one. There's something there, whether it's a, a CPA to help you with the business you know, end of it. Of course, we've already talked about your spouse, whoever else you might have. Please go into it. Unfortunately, no. Um, I didn't come from that side of the house in terms of my family, um, mm -hmm. other than my wife and her amazing emotional support, because that's what she, you know, she provides. Uh, she's a very smart girl. She's probably the most intelligent human, and I'm not exaggerating she's a neuropsychologist oh. so she's a very smart cookie um she's probably the most intelligent person that I, that I know um her father's a doctor her mother retired from the healthcare field not the same with my parents I didn't come from that side of the the tracks unfortunately so I've kind of sewed my own here um every day is like trial and error I I've gone through like three or four accountants like looking for one that I like um I have a few business owners who I've been able to kind of pick their brains here and there People I call friends that I could go out with on the weekends and have drinks. Um, but I really haven't had, had a mentor, so to speak, that has said, hey, you know, here's how you do it. Here's how you set up your LLC. Here's how you set up your bank account. Here's how you set up your sales channels or your marketing. I haven't had that. So this has kind of been like trial by fire. Well, let, let me let me if I can poke, a, poke at this a little bit. You haven't had that mentor, but you had four LLCs. So square that yeah. for, and 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 let me build on that a little bit. You're in CNC. Com, what is it? Computer numeric. It's advanced computer numeric machinery or oh yeah. It's advanced. It's advanced manufacturing. So you come from Marines and law enforcement, and you learn CNC and you set up four LLCs. No business mentorship. So how? I guess is the question. I guess it was just desperation of not wanting to turn back to the job force, uh, throwing things at the wall to see what would stick. And this is what stuck with me. I'm not sure if it's because what I love the most or it was what, what was the easiest. Cause it was at home. Like I didn't have to go anywhere for it. It was really, it was already here. Um, the general contracting, I tried that. I, I subbed in a few jobs for a friend of mine who um, has a, a very successful company and then I would show up and I, you know, have the blueprints and I would meet with the contractors. And my problem was the language. I didn't speak Portuguese, didn't speak Spanish, mm -hmm. couldn't communicate with half the guys. So then, then the homeowners would show up. And they'd have a question and I would look at the, the contractors and they would no speaky. So I'd be like, well, this isn't for me. Like that's, it was, it was a very frustrating line of work. Um, the low voltage thing, I couldn't get any traction. I was able to set up my accounts to all my local vendors. Like I was able to walk into the same vendors that I used to go to with a different company. I would give my IEN number. Hey, I'm a new LLC. Here's the business card. That was, I had business cards, had a website and marketing, nothing. Phone never rang. Instagram never took off. Nothing. It was like crickets. Um, this was the only thing, and I, I don't know, I, I, I want to say it's because of my background that this was such like a, um, 
a magnet for people to kind of come to me for because it was like veteran law enforcement making custom one-off pieces for your veteran or law enforcement officer sure you know and it just yeah it just seemed to jive really well uh and it still jives really well and that's why i kind of enjoy it I, i enjoyed law enforcement i love being in the military and i love working on my hands so now it's like I get to do all three. I get to deal with law enforcement. I get to deal with military. I get to make them stuff that nobody else is making out there. Uh, like if I told you guys some of the guests, like, and I'll call them guests, I've had generals, three-star generals in my garage. I had SEAL team blank number members in my garage. Uh, I've done work for Michael Murphy Museum, like like the Medal of Honor winner. Cool, um, sure. BI fly team, which is attached to SEAL team blank. Um, like these, like the, the, the people that come and go now that I meet, that I shake hands with, get coins with, like, I, I couldn't see that possible being a general contractor or having a low voltage company. Like it just would never happen. It would be so matter of fact, it'd be black and white, almost boring. Um, but creating, you know, creating houses or creating networks. I thoroughly enjoy what I do. I just, so I guess talk a little just, bit about your product. What's the tangible product you're making? So we make mostly dimensional art. Um, 3D dimensional artwork, CNC based, sometimes laser based, uh, indoor and outdoor. It could be for whatever. It depends on what the customers need. Um, we, we have started dabbling in LED lit channel letters, which is a very popular market to be in for signage. Uh, we do shadow boxes. We do uh, retirement gifts. Um, but our, our, our niche is really taking like a one off design that people have made for whatever reason. Like it could at no point in their life did they ever conceptualize this piece being made into giant artwork. And they give it to us and they say, hey, can you make this thing four feet tall? We're like, yeah, you know, it may take a little bit of time, but we can do it. And then we present them with this beautiful artwork that was designed to be on a computer this big. And we, we bring it to. Um, and with that, like we've done work for the Capitol building, like we've made things in the Capitol building. We've made things in um, different bases all around this, you know, the country. Um, taking taking small logos that were once meant to go on a uniform and making them into larger, you know, more tangible, visible um items or logos or how's the word gotten out about your product i mean in all seriousness i mean was it was it was it primarily social media your connections or a combination of two it was it was it was the two it was um it was definitely the two social media and i've only spent about i want to say in the four years now that i've been doing this i've really only pushed paid marketing once and that was 2019 when I first started, when I got the machine was uh, maybe spent like 1800 bucks through Facebook marketing ads, but all, all broken up throughout the year, like 200 here, 200 here, you know, over sure. like a period. Um, and ironically, Facebook never took off for me. Like I have a mediocre Facebook page. Everything that's posted on Instagram is also posted on Facebook, like seamlessly through the app. Um, but Facebook just doesn't have any traction, for whatever reason. I want to say that Instagram has been my number one sales platform. Um, and I mean that by like, when I say my sales platform, 90% of my sales come through Instagram, not the Instagram store. Like I don't, I don't have, I have an Instagram store that you can go buy a shirt or a sticker or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. but he makes contact with me through Instagram, a conversation takes place and then it's followed up with a phone call or an email. And that leads to work and or more work or, Oh my God, who do you know? How do you know them? I serve there also great. Can't wait to meet you. Ah, uh, um, okay. So, so Instagram Instagram has been a source for a lot of my, and I don't want to use the word success, but a lot of my work, we'll just call it work. Instagram is a major source of that. Um, I feel Instagram is very um, organic. Like if you can communicate with people, you can have a live chat with somebody. 
Um, you can go live. You can do you can do things on Instagram um, earlier in time that you then you were able to do on Facebook. So Instagram for me is more organic. It's more intimate. And uh, I love the stories. Like I always share my stories, which is like a short 24 hour clip of whatever I'm doing at the moment. It could be shooting a podcast, could be making a project, could be eating lunch. And it gives people a look into like what it is that I'm actually doing. Like I'm not just posting product all day long. I'm a real person. And today I'm at the pistol range and tomorrow I'm at the gym. And in between all that time where I still have to be a human, I, ha I have to get back to work and, and make product. Um, so for me, it's been a combination of who I am, my network, and a lot of social media in terms of Instagram. Gotcha. That's a, that's... Yeah, you're, the word that came to when I first saw you and started following you, those Friday night things, I mean, the, the word that came to my mind is fearless. You've got no fear of jumping on live, talking to people. It could be any topic. And I'm like, and I was bringing my wife over. I'm like, this is pretty special. I mean, if we, if you can actually engage a group of people live, yeah, and kind of bring your craft in. Maybe, maybe not. Doesn't matter. There's something special there, and it's not polished. It was just you being you. So that's that's kind of like it's it's bit me in the foot. Like in law enforcement, um, when I was a uniformed police officer, I have to be very specific about what type of law enforcement it was. It would bite me in the foot sometimes because I speak my mind. I told my boss to go fuck himself one night. Didn't work out very well for me. Sure, right? <laughs> he, he, he was he was being rude shocking. <laughs> he was being rude to me, so I returned right. the favor or rude to him. I just, sure. you know, said there's the attitude, and I told him to go fuck himself. Yep. Um, I find that my biggest struggle with social media is remembering that I'm representing my own business, which is paying the bills, and trying not to, and this is going to sound really, you know, silly, but trying not to offend anybody. I want to have fun. What Who you see is what I am. Um, I do speak my mind. But I also do keep track of what I'm saying because there's a lot out there that could affect the business. Yeah. You know, yeah. You be well, we, the, we um, are in a polarized world. There's no doubt about it. But, uh, you know, yeah, I don't, and I'm not even talking politics and gender. Like, I would never, like, that's, those are off limits for the most part. Yep. I'm talking about, like, just, you know, calling something as you see it. Like, sure. even in your industry, like in the paver industry, if you see something out there that, you know, maybe it's installed right. The bricks are off level or there's no sand to fill the cracks. You know, it's your competition. You kind of want to say something, but you know, people may look at you like you're trying to cause problems. So for me, I kind of just sit back. I enjoy my immediate surroundings, my, my viewers. I, I have a small crew of uh, really loyal followers um, and we have a really good time on Instagram. Like, you know, and I, I wish we had that good of a time on other platforms, but I can only do one at a time. Sure. Uh, tick TikTok is just, it's just silliness. I don't see any business being derived from TikTok unless you're some sort of influencer and you want to show your body off. Um, Facebook is hit or miss. Um, I do use Facebook a lot. We'll get into social media if you want to get into more marketing things. I do use Facebook a lot for generating sales, but it's a lot of window shoppers. I feel like a lot of shoppers in the marketplace. Um, but for me, I really enjoy the Instagram experience uh, if you know how to use it. And for all three of us here, I have to stress it. I've stressed it to other business owners. If you guys are watching this, when I say Instagram, I mean, you're not scrolling on Instagram. You're managing your business on Instagram. You're not a consumer. You are a business. So I have Great to, my, mon my mantra yesterday was don't scroll. Like, so my daily mantra, I have, a, I try to have one every day. I have an alarm set for 10 a.m. It goes off every day, right around when I'm getting focused in the shop. And it reminds me of something. I'm not going to say what it is because it sounds kind of cheesy, um, but it's just to get my mindset right. Sure. And yesterday was don't scroll. So anytime I go on social media, check your DMs, 
maybe reply to a few comments. Don't get caught scrolling because you know, yeah, consumer, and you don't even realize it. You're now consuming garbage. Yeah, exactly. That's a great discipline. And you, you know, when not, Apple, for Apple, a lot of people, not very easy to do. Apple started hard. doing this every Sunday night. They started pushing out. You spent X number of hours a week on your iPhone. Yep. yep. The thing was hitting like seven hours for me. And I'm like, well, I'm working ah. on it. I'm doing my thing. I'm doing email, doing that. And, and I'm kind of rationalizing it. But then I'm like, there ain't no fucking way I could be doing email seven hours a day. Right. I mean, maybe <laughs> four hours. And I'm like, I'm freaking scrolling and consuming it. And, and I'm long commute South Jersey up to North Jersey. Right. So, ah. uh, yeah, they started pushing that out. And I'm like, man, this is a lot of freaking time on a screen. A lot of time. They just said, they, I read last week on Google, I open up Google and I see like, it was a screen time thing. And I was like, so I have my screen time limits at the five minutes. So on five minutes for Instagram, because that's really the only app I'm really on. Yep. If I'm on my web app, if I'm on Shopify, like I can find myself navigating that, no problem. But Instagram, it's designed to suck you in. Just like TikTok is. It's, it's yep, a dopamine yep. designed to suck you in. And we're all susceptible to it. So we have to make sure we're disciplined when we use it. So I have a, a timer set for five minutes. So on Instagram, when I've had that app open for five minutes, even if I walk away from my phone, the screen goes black and it says, you've hit your limit. Do you want to continue or not? And I just close the app and I walk away. It's like, hard. because whatever I'm doing wasn't that important because I wasn't you know, paying attention. But there was a, an article that came out this past week. They said that every day, every day, somebody invented the scrolling feature. It's actually like a, a patented thing. There's like a guy who invented it. Every day on the earth, we as a human race scroll enough for two. 220,000 lifetimes every hour. Wow. Think about it. So one lifetime, what, 85, 90 years old? Mm -hmm. 220,000 times that every hour or every day. It was, it was insane. Like the yeah, amount of astounding. And companies Absolutely. are making it off us. Yeah, oh, that's, yeah, well, we're we're the product, basically, from all that scrolling. We, we're, exactly yeah, we're right. Product. Yep. Well, you've so, got, you know... One of the things that I noticed when I when I uh, uh, checked you out for a better for 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 lack of a better term, um, talk a little bit about the Maker Community Project. Okay. I mean, what's your what is your involvement in that? First of all, why did you get involved? I, I think I know why, but you know, let the folks that are watching this know uh, and, and delve into that a little bit for us too. I'm I'm very interested in that. Okay. So it's a, it's a soft spot in my heart for that. Um, the maker community project is officially a New Jersey, New Jersey nonprofit. That's it's, it's an, it's a, a nonprofit corporation that I set up a couple of years ago and here's how it came about. I had a, um, when I was selling my first CNC machine, the little one I had, uh, a gentleman hit me up on one of the forums where I listed it for sale. And he asked me if I was willing to part it out. Now uh, and I said, it'd just be easier. Tell me what you're looking for. And uh, I, gave, I think I gave my phone number and he called me and we went back on forth and DM a couple of times. And like the, the typing, the, the way the English was structured wasn't the best grammar. So I was like, just give me a call. We could get this done on the phone. So he calls me and immediately I was able to pick up that there was a disability that was in play, like a severe disability that, that I picked up on. Um, mm -hmm. And we worked through it. We had our conversation and he told me that he needed... Um, I, I think the control unit and some motors because he had the same machine that I had, but his was a couple of years prior, which they stopped producing and they switched generations of CNC machines and the, the company was no longer supporting the older generation. So he was hoping that I had, was it, we, that I was going to part mine apart. Um, I told him I couldn't do it, um, but I knew of another machine 
that was sitting around. So when I went to get this Stepcraft and they delivered it to Connecticut while I was up there, Stepcraft kind of modeled this after a couple of different machines that were on the market. So they had there for R&D. So I asked the owner, I said, hey, what are you doing with that, that CNC machine that's sitting? It was literally sitting sideways in a closet. It was like a small, he goes, nothing. He goes, it's what he said, Eric. He said, nothing. I can't do anything with it. I'm the CEO of Stepcraft US. I can't sell it. I'd be in breach of my contract. Like I can't sell any other brand than this, even if it's private. I don't know what to do with it. I said, can I have it? And he goes, what are you going to do with it? I said, I'm going to give it away. So he's like, to who? And I was like, there's this kid in Colorado. His name's Eric. And uh, he he needs some parts for his Gen 1 machine. And he can't find him anywhere. And I'm looking at a brand new machine right there. He goes, tell him tell him uh, like 700 bucks. Because it was really only worth like 1200 I was like, all right, I'll, I'll see if you can swing it. So I got back to Eric. And Eric's like, man, I, I really can't swing it. So I told, I told the other Eric, because they're both named Eric. I said, listen, he, he says he, he can't swing it. And, you know, I really want... I want to do something for this kid because it seems like he's in a hard way right now. So Eric, I melted his heart. I made him feel a little bad about himself. When he delivered this <laughs> big machine, he brought the little one and gave it to me. We boxed it up, built a pallet for it, and shipped it off to Colorado. And uh, that kind of started the whole do something good to make somebody feel better about themselves like campaign. And what, <clears throat> what happened then, Eric from Colorado and I became buddies where he would call me every week, FaceTime me. Uh, he was in a traumatic motorcycle accident that nearly took his life. Now he struggles with um, partial inability to walk, uh, extreme fatigue, cognitive disability, can't really formulate sentences like you and I can. Um, but he's all, he's able to operate a machine, but he has a severe lack of fine motor skills. Uh, and his hands aren't really able to kind of uh, move like we can move our dexterity. So sure. he uses a CNC machine, which gets the job done, which is amazing. So he starts asking me for, I need new bits. Can you help me with bits? And I was like, man, my wife's going to kill me if I start buying this stranger parts for his machine. Like he wanted a new spoil board. And I was like, oh my God. So I did a couple of things here and there. It was a couple hundred bucks for the stuff I sent him. And then like some, the asks got bigger. And he was married with children. And uh, yeah, I vetted him, Facebook, FaceTime, show me your house. Let me see your kids. Like it wasn't like some random, uh, it was, but it wasn't. And then we started BS and he would FaceTime me multiple times a day. And we would just bullshit. I'd be making stuff in my shop. He'd make stuff in his shop. And eventually the ass got larger to the point where I was like, Eric, my wife will, will divorce me if I, she finds out I gave you 500 bucks cash. Like, so that, so I said to myself, what can I do to give this guy money legally? That's not going to get me in trouble. And then I remember I have like this amazing Instagram following, right? Like thousands of people. That just want to watch what I'm doing every day. So the day came where Eric sent me a picture from the ER and he had filleted his palm open on his DeWalt table saw. Like it was literally, he's lucky he has his hand. It was cut open like 47 stitches right here. And I was oh. like, what did you do? And he's again, <laughs> no fine motor skills. He's barely able to hold the push block. He lost his grip and he had the blade higher than it should have been. And the, it, it just cut right through his hand. Um, he, he retained it, they fixed it, but he's in bad shape. Tells me he's going home the next day to, to work on more stuff. And I'm like, you're nuts. Like you're nuts. So this is probably two years in our relationship, maybe a year in our relationship. And then the next week he does this hand, wow. his finger, like wide open on his finger, the same saw. So I'm sitting here and I have a, a saw stop. I have this like $4,500 saw stop. It's three horsepower, 220. It's beautiful. I want him to have this saw stop. 
Because if my blade gets hit with a, a piece of skin or whatever, it stops and it retracts below the surface and nobody gets hurt. All I do is replace the blade, replace the cartridge. I'm out 150 bucks and I'm, out, I'm not on the way to the hospital. So I went on Instagram and I asked for his permission. He said yes. And I shared the photos of his palm and it was it was bad. Um, and then I followed up with the story and the backstory. And I kind of told everyone a little backstory about Eric and how I knew him. And I wanted to raise money to buy him a saw stop. And the saw stop cost $4,000. And we raised, I want to say 4,600 bucks in like 16 hours. Oh my God. People just sent me money from like Venmo, PayPal, Zelle, like Apple transfer, whatever. And I was like, ching all day. Ching. I'm like, this is amazing. This is amazing. So I was, I, I got so, I got teared up the money. I stopped the I stopped the, the money raising early. Cause we hit it by like eight o'clock at night. It was nuts. I went on live. I made the phone call from a different phone and ordered the saw stop and gave my credit card number. I had to put it on mute so nobody hear it. And it was delivered to him in like a week and a half. That's so cool. So then other companies saw me doing this and they're like, what's his address? And I was like, uh, what, what do you want to send him? Like, we want to send him a, a chisel. We want to send him a hammer. We want to send him. So next thing you know, Eric had a saw stop with like all different types of accessories. Then he had toolboxes showing up. Then he had uh, router jigs and sleds and miter saws, all kinds of stuff showing up in his house. And I was, my mind was blown. So that was like the Maker Community Project 1.0, where it was just an, I think it was just an LLC at the time. Because I had no aspirations of like formally doing any nonprofit work. <laughs> And then I was like, yeah, I'm like, this has legs. I'm like, imagine if we, imagine if we kept within the maker community, which you guys fall under, which mm -hmm. most people that make anything fall under. What if there are people with needs, whether they're disability, whether it's a, a home fire or a shop fire or an accident or a medical emergency, but somebody in the community needs something, whether it's financial assistance or equipment, and the rest of us can help raise money. For that cause rather than just have like a gofundme link which is kind of like off to the side yep. like we do it using the thousands of followers that we have like rather than just share a gofundme link like i'm actually gonna say hey mark you want to be on my team like how many followers does paper art have how many followers does this company have let's all team up and raise money using the thousands of followers that we all have so i started making phone calls first it started as a dm on instagram like hey i have an idea for a nonprofit. um we want to raise money for people with disabilities and or in crisis uh, would you be interested to be on my team? And I kind of had an idea of who I wanted. Um, I had some people that I considered competition and I had some mm -hmm. people like people I looked up to or that were in similar like workspaces as me. So I targeted them because they were on my radar and I wanted to either know more about them or wanted to, to exploit something from their, their toolbox. So I hit up about 10 or 11 dudes and women, women and men. And I introduced them to the idea and they were all said yes. So we fit, we, I made it a formal nonprofit. I think it was July of 2020 during COVID. And we had 11 or 12 guys and women on the team. Uh, website was up and running. It's still up. It's the makercommunityproject.org. The website was up. We had a beautiful team space. We had our mission page. We had donate. We had a shop. We did a ton of work. And I want to say we raised like 30 grand within like the first few months. Awesome. And but we broke it down in quarters. So what we did was we would have, and we would all use our Instagram. So at the time I probably had like 8,000, maybe 7,000. And collectively as a team, all of my, all the entire team, all 10 of us or 12 of us, we had over, I want to say it was over a million followers because I had 10, but Matt had 20,000 and she had 300,000 
And then this girl on like between Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook, she had like 1.2 million, Jeez. right? It was crazy, right? Uh, Steve's got 60,000. Um, who else was on the poll? Joe's got 20,000. Matt's got whatever. And collectively, our audience was massive. So what we would do was we would create content and then we would share that content throughout the week organically, like however you want. Like Mark, if you want to share this on Tuesday at 10 o'clock in the morning, whenever you feel this is going to get the best traction for your audience, share it and direct your audience to our website. So then we, we get people to go to the website for a couple of reasons. They'd go to the website to donate money. They would go to the website to, to buy merchandise that would support our mission, which would go directly to the recipient. And then you could also go to the website to nominate a recipient. So if you couldn't nominate yourself, but if you knew somebody that was in need with and or crisis or disability, you can nominate them. Name, address, how do you know them? You know, if you knew what their disability was, what do, what are you nominating them for? And then what we would do is we would collect at the end of every quarter, we would collect the group of nominees, the names, and we would run through them and we would make some phone calls and kind of vet out who we thought was the best fit for what we were able to give. And we were able to team up with about 10 different major tool companies, like major, like Stepcraft, Tools Today, Amana Tools, uh, Total Boat, uh, Spec Ops, Wall Control, Total Boat Epoxy, um, like massive companies, like like multi-multi-million dollar companies were all like, we want to be part of it. We want to be partners. So they would give us tools or donations or equipments, and then we would auction them off. And all the money would go right back to the nonprofit. And then at the end of Q1, we would pick one wow. guy. We'd call him up, and I, I forget, I think, I don't know if it was Brody or Brady. We did like three or four recipients, and we called up Brady, and his wife knew. We called his wife the night prior, kind of like, Kind of like uh, like extreme home makeover. Yeah. We're like we call him. We're like, hey, Brady. We had him on. Like uh, a bunch of us were on like a conference call. We're like, how you doing? He's like, good. How are you? I'm like, good. This is Mike from the Community Project. And it was no. We didn't say Veteran Woodco. It was just you know, like do you know who we are. And he's like, yeah, I heard of you. And I started to tear up. Oh, that's unbelievable. We would give now. Him was this 2020 when all this was taking place, or a lot of it was? I think it was 2020, 2021. Yeah. Now we would, you're, we in would, the midst, you're in the midst. You're in the midst of starting your business, by the way. So I, that that had to have been an enormous juggling act. Severely sidetracked, and I I enjoyed it because it it the mission felt so good. Right. Like what we were doing, we we gave this kid. There was a gentleman we did. So the first one we did was um was Eric in Colorado, mm-hmm. but he didn't fall under the of the nonprofit he fell under it like when it was kind of like very so we we kind of redid him like but like very like um nonchalant the first one we did i want to say was brady he was a a cancer survivor from a spinal cancer in canada because canada is part of the part of america and uh somebody nominated him he was a um finished trim carpenter which is you know uh, it's an art and uh, he would do you know wainscoting and trim work and stairs and banisters and all that stuff and he I was diagnosed with cancer in his spine and it gave him like 4% chance that he would never walk in if he had surgery. So he opted for the surgery and he was one of that 4% and he was immobile. So he now had to figure out how to earn a living from home. He was already, he was already taken care of with a vehicle. He had a drive by drive by hand vehicle was converted and he had a handicap ramp, but he didn't have any tools that could really work out of his house. All of his stuff was like mobile. So we were able to give him a saw stop for his house. So he got a saw stop. He got a lathe. He got uh, a workbench. He got uh, um, all like dozens. He got he probably got seven eight thousand dollars of stuff. 
um, that festival Sanders saw circular saws, chop saws, like you, you name it. This kid got everything. It was like a, a, a shopping spree. Um, and then we did a gentleman in Maryland uh, who wanted a laser, but well, we gave him like a six thousand dollar laser. He wanted to like increase, his, and so it was like it was CNC machine. We did a CNC machine, um, M one thousand, which was like a seven thousand dollar machine. Stepcraft guy in Jersey, he he won that. So it's like I delivered it in person and trained him up on how to do it. So it was a lot of fun because it was a uh, a lot of interaction. But yeah, like you said, it was it was kind of in the middle of where my business was sh- should have been tracking upwards, and instead I kind of diverted it. But it helped the business because it still had optics on veteran wood code because I was the one that was running it. Of so course. When, yeah. So I was getting I was getting new followers from the other teammates and we were generating a lot of traction and eyes on us. Um, so that it, I wouldn't say it hurt the business, but it definitely didn't um, increase my revenue for the year. Well, we'll <laughs> talk a little bit about that. You said you recruited a team of what, what did you say? Ten people, Mike? Yeah. Initially with me, I think there was 12, 12 of us. And within the first month, two guys bowed out. They said it was way more commitment yep. than what they had expected. Sure. So I think when we when we were up and running, it was like ten or eleven of us, and mm-hmm. they were all. Everyone was a tradesman of some sort, some sort of woodworker. We had a welder in there. I think we had two metal guys. We had people that were doing art, like you know, you name it, epoxy, strictly tables. We had guys doing just signs, and we would meet. So we actually had weekly meetings, like Zoom meetings. Um, we would have a running chat on Instagram. We had emails, like we had everyone, like it was a full blown company. Like it was other than paychecks, like every, other than everyone cutting the paycheck at the end of the day, it was a full blown company. We had, we had uniforms, we had t-shirts, we had, everyone had their own email address. Um, we were communicating with our partners. Everyone had a list of responsibilities, what they need to do every week. Uh, one guy was creating content. The other guy's editing a store. One person's working on a website. One person's, uh, one person's pitching businesses, like. If I didn't have a contact with Maxiwa, which is like a heavy duty grade commercial woodworking brand, I would pitch Steve. Steve, you know the guys at Maxiwa set up a Zoom meeting with with the three of us and we're gonna have a meeting. And then I'd be sitting down with the CEO of Maxiwa and Steve and he set that up. And then the next week I'm sitting down with the owners of Total Bow. And then I'm talking to the owners of Amana Tools. And it, it was a lot of fun. It was it was a really good experience. Um, but we kind of hit the pause button after about a year. You did. We did. Yeah, we had to. Um lack of participation dropped off really quickly with the yep. team when nobody was seeing a benefit returning to them. I started this trying to help out one dude and then sure. it ended up helping out four or five dudes. Uh, we sold a bunch of equipment. We sold a lot of merchandise. The nonprofit still is an active status. So it's just there. Um, but I essentially had to suspend the entire operation because it was becoming, what's the word? It was becoming too much of a hassle for everyone to manage. Sure. Uh, you know, but what you've got here and what you've proven in that one, one and a half, almost two year period of time, there's a template for success from what you set up. Okay. And, you know, and, and again, I'll, this is an aside. Uh, both Mark and I like to listen to an, uh, a fairly popular podcast out there by Mike Rowe. Um, I don't know if you know Mike Rowe or if you're aware of Mike Rowe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. You know, it's the uh, it's the uh, uh, I was going to say, you know, paver art, the ultimate dirty job. But yeah. the, um, um, I I see you as a guest on that show. I really do. I mean, I and I say that only because what you've done, your background, that's the kind of thing he's interested in. Uh, you know, it's all about work ethic. It's all about the uh, working with your hands. It's all about it's all about that kind of thing. 
And uh, it just, it just, it's intriguing what you did with that, with that whole, uh, you know, the, the maker community project. And uh, where does that stand now? I mean, I've, I've been to the website. I, I went, I, I combed through. The more I got into the website, the more I wanted to get into it. I was really intrigued by that. Where does that stand now? So the website uh, is a work of art. Like we, it was, it was created by a friend of ours. Um, it's absolutely beautiful. And the only thing missing from that is now our team page, which I disabled because we essentially right. removed it. Um, it's at any point. So we, there was a lot of misconstrued thoughts in for people, not me, and mm -hmm. probably not you guys are business owners. There was a lot of misconstrued thoughts, and I was getting some backlash from the community because they wanted to know what my federal tax exemption number was because they wanted to make donations. And I said, we don't have one. We're not a 501c3. We're a nonprofit corporation set up in New Jersey, right? I can't take a paycheck. You could check our financials and you could check us in New Jersey. But at no point did I ever tell anybody we were a 501c3. Mm -hmm. We applied for it. The status was pending. And then I suspended operation because I had a team that I essentially, I almost said I couldn't rely on them, but it was like pulling teeth. Gotcha. Um, any messages like waiting on zoom calls, nobody would show up and, you know, I would check on Instagram and they'd all be posting like worried about their own feed, but then nobody was answering their messages when it came to the make community project. So it was really frustrating. So I essentially just suspended the entire team. I gave them all a notice and I said, like, we're done. Um, where do we stand? It's still active. It's still a passion of mine. I would love to conti continue it. I think it would need more of a, a CEO to run it like a CEO somebody with the experience for nonprofit to get involved, uh, we would have to reapply for our 501c3 cert because between myself, my wife, my best friend, Joe, who just had a second baby, were the three principals listed on the, on the company because my wife's the VP. I think Joe's sure. listed. Very, you have to have a certain amount of people. Between the team and the lack of effort I was getting, I wasn't able to put a board together to have a 501c3 status. You have to have a certain amount of people in certain roles. And I couldn't even put together that. So where do we stand? We're, we're still an active company in New Jersey. We pay our taxes. Um, we're still a nonprofit corporation, but we're not really pursuing any active fundraising. And in the midst of all this, you're still running, you're still running veteran Woodco. So in the midst of all this, yeah. Veteran Woodco is, is still thriving. Um, yeah. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a continuum, right? When you, when you think about cause with business, right? So, so we've got a cause it's, it's also disabilities, right? We did a uh, we partnered with Gloucester Township Police on an autism neurodiversity piece, and the chief of police has a son with Down syndrome. I've got a daughter with Down syndrome. Mike's got a uh, a sister with autism, and then we've got the Tom's River Police Department that has this Challenger Park Park to help people with disabilities. Uh, it was started by a gentleman that had a kid in a near fatal car accident that was rehabbing. Right, so in the back of my mind, I'm like, as a business owner, we've got to figure out how to do something. You can't support every cause out there, but the ones that are near and dear to you, you can. Um, but it's really, it, it, what's inspiring about what you did is you recruited a team of outside talent, of presumably like-minded people, but then every, if you're not goal aligned and uh, it starts to become a marketing spin or, or is a return on investment, it's really hard to get that off the ground. Yeah. But uh, Great point. We, we, we're we in a right stadium right there. Yeah, we got it off the ground running hard and fast. Like we definitely hit it running and it, we maintained that sprint pace um, for a few months. Like, and it was really good. And I want to say, I think we took a break for Christmas um, 
And then kind of towards the spring, as things started to warm up, I started seeing a lack of effort and a lack of return and just enthusiasm for the mission. Because I, I told everyone, like there was guidelines, like we had a company, we had company policy, there was bylaws, um, behavioral guidelines, like, cause there was things that were happening where we would have companies that were reaching back out to our team members and offering goods in exchange for advertisement. So we had to put bylaws in place to say that no member of our team could communicate with any of our partner co companies Right. And accept goods on behalf of the Make Community Project. You can't do it. Sure. So um, we and I sent these bylaws out to everyone and nobody signed them. So it was like, <laughs> wait a sec. I I if everyone else signed them. We had to have a thing that was like, hey, when you're on your social media, like I, I understand it's your social media. But when you're on social media, just remember you're representing a nonprofit that's here to raise money for for disabled or people in crisis. Um, and there was a lot of. Not everyone, but there were some things that were going on, like behind closed doors. Where it was like, is this somebody we want? We want on our team. Sure. Uh, then there were a member. There was maybe a member or two that was just doing it for the glory. That thought it would be a good way for them to bolster their social media following. And I think that had a lot to do with people backing down or backing off the throttle. Was they weren't seeing a return of investment in terms of what right. their social media is gaining from this. Right. And it wasn't about that. That would, the mission had nothing to do with us. That's why we established a separate channel. Your motives were pure and you wanted your other team members motives to be pure also. That's what, yeah. that's what it sounds like. And so. I think it could be, I think it could be attained if I had supplemental income and I was able to focus solely on the nonprofit without worrying about another company. And if we had team members that had supplemental income with a paycheck, yeah. Company, yeah. It, it would definitely be a more attainable goal um, rather than having all, all of us be independent business owners and by the way, I need your, not 100% attention, but I need a good amount of it at some point during the week to break away from your business. Well, and let's, go, let's, let's go down that road a little bit, Mike, because you're you're a new business for the most part. 19, 2019 is a brand new business in my mind, right? You're yeah. still in that, I would say, you're beyond the viability stage, but where, where do you assess where you're at now with the business in terms of your satisfaction with it? or, or where Five do you years. Is, I keep hearing five years. is like, you got to give it five years. Right. I could definitely see myself doing this long-term. I have a few guys in the industry who I know that are older than me that have been doing it just a little bit longer than me that have given me enough confidence to say, Mike, you, like, you're going to be fine. Like, like keep running with it. You're doing great. Like where you're at is awesome. Um, in terms of viability, I, I think there's legs. I, I definitely think there's legs as long as I stick with it. I've been in this weird space for the past couple of years with law enforcement and perhaps going back to law enforcement where I've kind of held my foot just off the throttle a little bit because with looking for rental spaces and signing leases and entertaining an offer back to work to go get that supplemental income, which is a pension and a job security, which we all want. I've kind of been in like teeter totter. <clears throat> do I want to go full-time entrepreneur or do I want to go back to the career that I enjoyed, but I don't enjoy it as much as what I'm doing now, but it's also, it's safer in terms of long-time financial stability, but you also make it shot. So it's like, eh. you got an embarrassment of riches here. The um, there's a, there's a lot of things you like to do. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about rucking here shortly, but uh, by the way, before, before we go forward, I, I know uh, Mark Blanches when I asked this question, but I ask it on every podcast when we're talking to a, uh, an entrepreneur or a business owner, what, what would you consider your first big win? And the definition of the first big win was the win that made you decide, you know what, 
I want, I want to do this full time. I want to really, really get into this. What made you, what, where was that? What happened that made you want to do that? What was the first big win you had? It was my first five digit job. Really? Yeah. Which one was that? Tell us about that. Um, so I brought the machine in. This was a $25,000 machine, uh, pay with it with money that I had from law enforcement. And then first couple jobs were, you know, small, $500, thousand dollars, like, you know, maybe 1200, two grand. No, it's really, it's, it's money, but it's not, you know, money. Um, it was a job for the U S embassy in Mexico city. The U S marshals was the wow. customer. U S marshal were the customers. They gave me two challenge coins, which were the yay big. And they said, we want six of them, three feet tall a piece. Wow. That job Shoot. is priced. And I, I priced it at about $1,500 a piece times six. And I was like, all right. And I, and they said, here's your purchase order. And I said, then I walked, <laughs> I walked outside, you know, I walked out to my wife. I said, babe, I just landed a $10,000 job, you know, my first $10,000 job. And she's like, shut the fuck up. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it, it, it felt really good. And now that's the feeling I chase. It's like, I look for those big, those big ones. I want the big ones, you know, the, those big margins. So the small jobs, like the stuff I'm posting every day, um, you know, stuff in my story, like stuff I'm showing you guys, I'm shooting around the shop. But this, that's just all, you know, those keep the lights on. Like that's just filler work. Uh, I, I can't say no to stuff like, this is a ring, right? I haven't shown this yet. It's a it's a ring, 14 inches round. This is for the Fraternal Order of Engineers. If you're an engineer, you could join this fraternity. It's nationwide. And it's like um they it's to uphold your ethics and standards of your engineering oath. So you're not, you know, engineering shitty bridges and buildings. And apparently they they have a ring they wear on their finger. And the president of the fraternity wants to order these and wants me to manufacture them. Sweet. I'm, yeah, I'm like, but it's just so off. And I'm like, this is really weird. So <laughs> stuff like that. Like, yes, I'll business do it. is not weird, uh, Michael. But business is not weird. No, it's not. <laughs> so now, now what I, I do, I don't say no to smaller work unless it's just completely not my time. Like I know what my time is worth, and that's a very important conversation. You also have is like know what you're worth. Like I know what I'm worth. I know what I used to get paid to sit on my ass in a police car and conduct traffic if that's what you want to call it like i know what i was worth when they were paying me eighty dollars an hour to do that i know i'm worth more now i'm on my feet all day busting my ass creating beautiful one-off pieces of work like i know what i'm worth. so i'll do smaller jobs to keep the lights on to keep me busy to keep engagement and entertainment going um but what i'm really chasing is like two of those big jobs a month like two big ones you know mm -hmm. something that we're good but you said you had what three three months worth of work you've got on the books, right? Two to three months worth of work. Yeah, um, yeah. There's there's a, there's a lot of work. My truck my truck is full right now of boxes of shit that I have to send out. I have stuff to my left. I have stuff to my right. I've got material everywhere. Uh, yeah, work is good. And I tell everyone like if you're not in a rush, I tell them two to three months. If you're in a rush, I typically only rush agency work. So if you're a some sort of agency or official capacity where somebody's leaving because they have a they have a, usually have a shorter heads up like than if you're a corporate America, like, hey, you're retiring, here's a trophy, here's a plaque, have a nice day. Um, sure. When people transfer or they're retiring from law enforcement, um, they typically are told when to go or told when it's happening. And they have usually have no say in the matter. Like, hey, your retirement ceremony is in two weeks. 
So that's when I get the phone call, like, hey, can you do this in 10 days? And I'm like, yeah, I can do that. And I'll bump one or two people. Um, but usually it's people that, hey, there's no rush. Like, there's well, no rush on my program. If I can give you a perspective on two to three, at year four, two to three months worth of work, it took Paver 17 years to get there. Wow. So yeah. feel good about that. Yeah, good. feel very good about that. Good. Yeah, yeah no. Yeah. It, it's, a, it's a delicate balance. Um. We'll talk about like how I how I get my name out there. Like I'm balancing two eBay accounts. It's crazy. An Etsy channel with like over 400 sales in four years. Um, two website, two websites, not counting the Maker Community Project. So I have two eBay accounts um, with two different names selling similar products. An Etsy channel that sells everything, right? From channel letters to Porsche signs to cutting boards, you name it. Two websites, one's Veteran Woodco, the other one is a DBA, because I mentioned earlier I'm a car guy, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot, a lot of my income comes from car-related signs, right? I specifically target car guys because that's who I relate with. So I have uh, I have a car of my own. I'll bring it to like a Cars and Coffee on like a Sunday morning, and maybe I'll bring a Porsche Crest and throw in the trunk and take yeah. it out and lean it up against my car. Yeah. And people are saying, oh, shit, that's gorgeous. And I say, here's a business card. Call me. And then the other the other website I I manage is called Track Art, right? Racetrackart.com. And sure. I do I do race I do racetrack cutouts, I do car signs, BMW, AMG, Mercedes, Porsche, you name it. Uh, and it's just a DBA under Veteran Woodco. That's to not confuse the my accountant too much. It's a DBA I did um, to kind of brand myself differently. So my work truck has Veteran Woodco written on the side, and my race car has track art written on the side. So it's a, it's a lot of balancing. Like, so when I go to the track in the, in the summer, it's, I'm going there to, to enjoy the thrills of my hobby that I've had way longer than I like to admit, but I could use it as a way to advertise and expense and market my business. Sure. Yeah. Well, so, so I, I get the, uh, you've got Very this gravitational pull that you're at a little bit of a crossroads of potentially going back into law enforcement for all those benefits. Number one, it might be a, uh, a personal goal, the stability of the pension, whatever, whatever those are. But is there a lack of confidence in the business? That's kind of there's there's an there is there's a lack of confidence long term. So that's it's not tomorrow, it's not next year. Yep, I'm I, I'm able bodied for as long as I can see myself being able bodied, whether it's ten or fifteen years. Yep, I'm four years old now. I feel fantastic. Um, it's a it's a it's more of a long term thing. Like, am I making enough? Am I able to make enough? to make what I would have made and live the same life that my pension would have provided for me had I stayed long. So I left law enforcement with like a 14 year pension for New Jersey. Mm -hmm. And then I applied to the feds. So now I'm waiting on federal thing, which may or may not happen, which would supplement my, my first. Cause other than that, I, I don't have a savings account. Like I, I didn't, I never started an IRA. So now I'm like, well, I'm at this point in my life where I'm either going to go full speed ahead entrepreneur Right. And I, and like hit up my sponsors for more machines, ask for more equipment, uh, expand the business, buy another truck, hire an employee or two, or keep this part time, keep it small, keep it really intimate, like, you know, and then go back to law enforcement if the opportunity is presented itself. What, what's your calculus on how you make that go right or go left? I don't think it's up to me. So in my local law enforcement career, you guys may have saw that I was a whistleblower. I filed a massive lawsuit against the, the police department that I was working for. Um, mm -hmm. It went in my favor mm -hmm. and I retired. 
the federal agency that I'm applying to is having a hard time sifting through that three and a half year litigation sure. because it's a lot. So right now we're um, about a month away from getting a green light. If they say no, and again, I'm leaving this up to them, go leave it up to God, leave it up to whoever you want to call. Uh, if they say no, hey, no problem. Like don't sweat off my back. Like I know what I'm going to do. Like I already have, I'm already set up to do it. I'll just keep doing what I've been doing and it's working. If they say yes, I'm looking at it from the perspective of, I didn't want to leave in the first place. I was forced out and they forced my hand to do something I didn't want to do. So I'm going to continue doing what it was that they took from me. And what about that? What about that? That you love? What is it about that, 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 that you love so much? Um, you know, criminal justice work. What, what is it? What, why, why do you like that so much? I, I and, just now, and, and, and look, I'm, I'm just curious. I it's, it's yeah, a personal yeah. curiosity. I just have you watched that show, Your Honor, yet on um, with Brian Cranston? Have you oh, watched yeah. on Showtime? Okay. Yeah, it's yeah, on yeah. Showtime. Yeah. Remember the part where um, the detective says that she loves chasing bad guys? Yes, I do. <laughs> I do. There is a there's a thir certain thrill. Um, don't get me wrong; I love helping. Like whether it's you know helping people, doing CPR, like saving babies. Like it sounds please. Like it's very satisfactory work and you see, you can definitely see the, the fruits of your, of your labor. Um, however, you're, you are working for the man at the end of the day. Yep. But there's also that, that adrenaline, that, that mission, like that thing we've all kind of looked for that you may or may not have ever tasted before, but when you do, it's like, wow, that was, that was really good. Um, it's hard to say uh, the, the agency I applied for, I fully believe in their mission. Like I would have, I wouldn't have applied to them if I didn't. Um it's something I've always wanted to do for a long time that I just never got the opportunity to do. And I don't think that just because I have this now, I should ignore that. I'm just going to kind of let the cards fall where they may. Sure. And I've, I've told, I've been told by a bunch of dudes that I'm crazy. I've been told by a bunch of dudes that I have the best of both worlds and take whatever you can get. And if for whatever reason, the opportunity presents itself and I don't like it, I just walk away. Sure. That's it. Well, and like, we were talking about this earlier. Like, I don't have a plan B. Right now, my plan A is this. My plan A used to be that. Now I have two plan A's. Either one of them can work for me. I could turn that light switch for like law enforcement officer Mike on real quick. You know, like I still go shooting. I'm still in shape. Like I still take jujitsu. Like I'm not, it's not like I have to transform my personality to go back to law enforcement. It's only been a couple of years. Um, or I just keep, keep traversing forward with veteran Woodco and maybe revisit the maker community project and a possible expansion. I did have a couple other things that I had tried to do in the past few years. Um, but I'm, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be distraught either way, whichever way the cards may fall. Well, most people would, most people would kill to have one, you know, one true capability in their lifetime. You've got three. You like Thank chasing you. bad, you like chasing bad guys. Okay. I like driving uh, fast. <laughs> your first your first big win locked you in as an entrepreneur and you know your disabled community activism is very very admirable and uh, you know in in any one of those spheres uh you could probably you could you could do exceptionally well so you know good luck whichever one you want you know, wind up doing uh, you. you know and if uh, uh, but i i tell you what i'd i'd prefer you as an entrepreneur so <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry we we need more guys like you okay we just need more guys I would, like you i would love to stick around um 
as long as I could. I feel like I, I do fit in extremely well in this community. Uh, and I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy what I do. I really do. Like, I love coming out here and working. You mentioned when we started, Mike, the uh, you brought on an apprentice? I do, yeah. I've, I've had three apprentices. So Phil is who was here today. How'd you find him? What's that process look like? Is it full-time, part-time? How does that all work? Uh, so Phil is, uh, so Phil is, is um, how did he hit me up? Phil messaged me on Instagram yep. three years ago before this machine when I had version 1.0 with the old garage and the old lights and the old CNC machine. Phil found me on Instagram and he wanted me to cut him stars for a flag that he was making. So he came over, he lives locally. And I think his dad drove him because he may have been 16 at the time. Mm -hmm. And I, I cut some things for him and we made friends. And when this machine came in, he was asking me what I was doing with the other stuff. So I told him I was going to sell it. So he told me to make him an offer. So I think I mentioned to him, it was like two grand for the machine. It's got some upgrades to it. I'll give you some bits. I'll sell it to you for 1800 bucks. And he's like, Ooh, just pricey. And I, young kid. Um, so the night came where this, and he had been here at my house three, four times, you know, we had made friends, his brother-in-law was a cop. So we kind of had that connection. Um, I made a gift. Yeah. I made a graduation gift for his brother-in-law from police Academy. So it's like, we, there was this back and forth relationship with customer and friend. And then, um, when this machine came in and literally the night he came in I was setting up my garage, like, where's it going to go? I had this other three foot by three foot machine that was in the way. It was just in the way. And I was like, I wish I could just stick this in the, in the driveway and like somebody can pick it up. So I called Phil and I'm like, Hey, what are you doing tonight? And this is four, three years ago, you know, three and a half years ago. And he's like, nothing He's like, I'm just hanging out with Sean, his brother-in-law. And I was like, well, come over and pick the CNC machine up. And he's like, oh, yeah, I told you I couldn't afford it. And I said, Phil, come over and pick this CNC machine up. Uh, how much is it? Phil, get over here. And he, he didn't get it. I was just so, I was so enthused with this machine. He didn't get like it. So he came over, him and Sean, pickup truck right in the back. Let me know if you guys have any questions. Happy sailing. Oh, cool. And it's, we've always stayed in touch. Uh, him and his dad are landscapers by trade. So they've done some landscaping or hardscaping on my property. They've done uh, retaining wall, some shrubs. So it's like a give and take. Um, he made a bench for his father-in-law. So I had to like mill the bench down and flatten this big slab for him. So known him for years. And then this past year, his dad mentioned to me that they had a slow winter. He wasn't going to be plowing as much. And if I can keep his son busy, he would appreciate it. So now his son's 21 years old. And he's my apprentice. So he's usually here about three days a week. Um, it depends on what type of work I have for him because he's not able to, I kind of show him, Hey, here's how you fire up the CNC machine. He knows how to run one because he has one. It's just a different program. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, I have to have the work ready for him to come apprenticeize it. As I say, Sure. he's got a, there's only so much he's able to do right now. Um, so hey, if I have the work, Phil, he's here usually at 10 o'clock in the morning. I do compensate him monetarily if mm -hmm. he's working. Like today, we just drove around all day, picked stuff up, ran errands. Phil, you know, I'll see you on Monday. So some days Phil's in here busting his ass, like sanding, cutting, getting dirty, like picking up stuff, going to Home Depot. So or other days we're having lunch together. But yeah, there's there's days a week where he's here uh, learning. And then there's days a week where he's just like my partner crying. We're riding around, picking sure. stuff up. That's pretty cool. I'm curious. Yeah. You said you had a relationship That's... with Stepcraft. You're a distributor or a sales rep. Is that kind of how it works? I'm a brand ambassador. So yeah, I'm a rep. I'm a rep. Uh, for Stepcraft. So after, I'd say after about a year. So when Eric the Royer, the, the CEO of the U.S. side of it, came over here and delivered in person because his employees were all sick with COVID, um, him and I hit it off like right away. Um, we stayed in touch. We exchanged numbers. I've visited them three, four times now. He's invited me to go water skiing. Like we have a lot in common, like CEO shooting. And um, he, he 
introduced me to the idea of becoming a rep for them um, because of my social media presence and um, the way I was able to kind of communicate with people via Instagram or whatever you want to call it. He thought I would be a good face with the brand uh, to help funnel leads to StepCraft. So that's what we, we, we actually uh, had a contract put in place. Um, there's a percentage number there that exists. And I am able to communicate with customers and directly refer them to StepCraft. Kind of skip the line, so to speak. If you go through me, I'll put you right in touch today. We can talk to a sales manager, get you squared away with your order. You can leave a deposit. And then I can also, the other perk that I offer is if you go through me, I offer you free training for your CNC program. So yeah. that's something Step, StepCraft isn't offering that. So like I'm trying to entice you to sell to me so I can make the money from them, but I'm also going to get you up and running. So, and the third thing that I also do for them is I do offer tech support, like non-official tech support where they will refer guys to me if they need some training or if they think it's a machine issue that I can help. And if it's beyond mm. to do remotely, then I can get them over to that side of the house. So, so this is a, it's a big, massive country and, and I'm generally of the mindset of abundance, but I'm in two towns over from you in Jersey, let's say, and you're going to sell me a CNC machine, train me how to do it. Are, are you not, are you not putting your competitor in business? Who's my competitor? You or you? Well, well a hypothetical person that buys a CNC machine, you're training them on the art of CNC and sign making or whatever it is. I'm training them on, I offer them like a free hour of like design, right? Like I'll, like if you don't have a program yet, I'll show you because if most of these guys, when they're buying a new machine like this, they typically don't have the program needed to use this machine. So then I sell them on the other, the other program, which is an upcharge, like $800 or yep. we'll call it $1,800 $1, if you get the one I sell you. And I get a 6% of that. Um, but I'm going to answer your question. Uh, and then what I'll do is I'll train them up on how to get that program up and running. Then I can resell them private lessons to how to get them, like if they need like touch and goes here and there. And then I'm going to show them how to get the machine operational. That's it. This is where it gets hard for me to be really like hold my tongue. But I found that a lot of guys have a hard time tying their shoes. Uh, yeah, we were... Okay. So I find that a lot of guys will buy these machines and like, yeah, we know, we know what you're talking about. Yeah. I understand the, the want and the attractiveness to them. Um, but they have a hard time tying their shoes and it's like, I'm not worried about them. You're not there's, there's like, I'm not worried about them. Just to get from point, to get from point A to point B yeah. is pretty simple, but to get from point A to point Z. Yeah. There's a lot like it, of thought. There's a there lot of decision making. There's, I get it. Yeah. Let, let's poke on that a little bit. Not, not in your pace, but I'll, I'll use an example: laser engravers. There's a lot of companies that sell laser engravers, all different kinds. Right. Some good ones out there too, and there's some cheap ones. Like anything else, there's a quality range, right? But a lot of the you see it a lot with retired, uh, recently retired people that want to work 20 hours a week, so they buy a laser machine. Could be a ten thousand dollar laser machine or a seventy thousand dollar one. And they think they're going to do craft fairs on a weekend and supplement their retirement income. And maybe they pay for that machine or maybe they don't. But there's almost like the equipment sales. I wouldn't say it. It kind of targets this dream of entrepreneurship. Yeah. I don't I don't know if it's successful or not. I don't have a sense of it, but I see a lot of that going on in the maker community. I think there's a um, I think there is a large um, misconception as to what type of money a single machine with a single person can generate, mm -hmm. um, you know, you're, you're sacrificing time, money for time at some point, like we all are, you know, we're working with our hands or you're, right. you're trading money for time. Um, 
So for me, when I look for jobs, I look for the larger margins. I think when you're working with something that's so finite as a laser engraving machine, the margins are so small, your volume has to be massive that's right. for you for for you to produce anything that's going to be considered supplemental income. Um, whether or not my wife's just messaging me, why aren't you responding to my DMs? Because <laughs> I'm, oh, I'm on Zoom, babe. Tell her you're um, on the Hustle or Bust podcast. <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's a large misconception on what like real money looks like and what overhead costs and what shipping costs and what one person is physically capable of doing in, in 24 hours, or let's call it a 12-hour day. Um, yeah, I, I, I've seen, you know, the whole Tumblr thing come and go, mm-hmm. you know, have multiple and, and it's not going to work with a Chinese laser. Like you can have an ohm tech or a thunder and you run them for a month or two and need a new tube. So if you're going to, if you're going to be running a laser engraver, you need to have a boss, an epilogue, something, something of, of substance, substantial value to run an equitable company just based on laser engraving. Sure. Yeah, you have to. It's not going to work with one machine or one guy. Right. You got to. You got to begin it. You got to get in aggressively and go after it. The only so in in my field, um, let's call it um, making right from home. I'm just keeping it strictly at a home base, right? I'm not talking about commercial real estate. I'm not talking about three phase, whatever. From a team that works from home, I've seen husband and wife couples break the half. I break the half million dollar mark from home. So they're doing yeah. well then. They're making good business. Well, yeah. They're doing very we're, well. Gotta be a seamless, it has to be a seamless transition team where the and I won't say the wife's in the house and the man's making, because it could be either or, but it has to be clearly delineated responsibilities. So right now I'm managing social media, I'm on emails, I'm picking up material, I'm in the shop, and I really only got myself a couple hours in the shop to work, versus you're in the shop for 12 hours a day and everything else over here is doing itself because one of the partners is doing it. And right. at the end here it's like you just 10 times your income um the teamwork essentially but i i know personally two couples east coast and west coast both stepcraft companies from home that crush it and they just their husband wives and that's all they do and they make a tremendous amount of money um trying to do that by yourself with a laser engraver is is going to be hard right you need two people you need you need a delineation of duties you're right yeah, and the overhead is ridiculous. Like the amount of material you need to have on hand to produce the volume and margins that you want is insane. Right. So they got a shed somewhere in the backyard, jam with stuff. Yeah. Right? I got a 10 by 20. I got right. a 10 by 20, 14 by 7. It's full. You can barely walk in it. Right. I got here, I got stuff in the back of my truck. And it's like you're pl- you're constantly playing musical chairs trying to get which piece you need all the time. Yep. Yep. It's fast. Well, well, it is a big sweep going from in the garage with the sheds to commercial real estate. That is a big evolution to jump there. It is. And yeah, then, that's um, the, that's scary, but I'm also looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, There's, I've turned down a couple big jobs this year where like I've had people tell me like, dude, take them, take the money, right? And right away, go buy yourself. Because like the jobs are so big, I couldn't do them in my garage. Like they right. were, I did, I did some some sets for like different Javid show, uh, Javid Center shows like back <clears throat> trade shows so i've done a couple and i've had to build them in my driveway because like they're 12 feet tall or 13 feet tall 15 feet wide and then i break them down and we're able to transport them in a truck and then reassemble them some of these jobs they've called for are so elaborate i would have to build it in my garage but i have an eight foot ceiling right so i've i've contemplated this and i've mentioned it to some of my friends and they're like take the money bid on the job 
and go get yourself a space right away mm-hmm. and catch up to the job. And I'm like, this doesn't sound like the best idea. <laughs> They're like, do it. Trust me. That's how everyone does it. Just take the money, tell them you can make it, even though you can't, and then go get a space and fucking make it. Take the plunge. And I'm going to, I'll relay something to you. When we started this business, we thought the idea for what we were making was so great that it couldn't miss. And I came from operations and sales. Um, uh, One of the other partners, my brother basically came from accounting and also from operations. Uh, And the gentleman who came up with this idea came from the installation side. So he was face to face with the people that would actually be buying this sort of thing. So he, he was completely sold on this. And the first job we got was to make four intersections and the adjoining crosswalks for the city of Wildwood, New Jersey. Okay. That's the first job. We didn't have a building. We didn't have equipment. We had nothing. Okay. So I'm telling you that leap for the three of us to do that and leave fairly comfortable jobs that we were pretty good at and, and, and comfortable with the income. And Oh, by the way, our spouses were comfortable with the income too. Um, and the fact that we were home on a regular basis, um, we made the leap and 20 years later, we're still here. So, um, you know, you got the goods, buddy, you got the goods. I don't think you'd have any problem making that leap. And that's just my own personal opinion. And I've, and I've talked to you for an hour and a half and that's it. But I could tell you've got, you've got what it takes. So thank you, Michael. No, that's you. Well, you're quite welcome. And it's, you know, that's, that's unsolicited for me. I mean, I don't think you'll have any problem. But the, uh, but the calculus is there's models out there in the country that have made a half a million out of their garage. And so there might be cash flow and whatever, $300,000, nothing wrong with that either. Right. To just burst out of the seams. You're running that machine two hours a day, right? No, no commute, no tolls, no nothing. Just going to garage. Yeah, you get an apprentice trained up to work them 20 hours a week. You do your thing, and then you, you oversee it, and then you just you max that out. And then once you're busting out of the seams, then do it. There's a case to be made to do it very disciplined in that regard, too. Sure. You get, yeah. You can, you can be successful any which way you go. Tell me what you think about this, because I've, I've used this excuse a few times, because it's probably what I would say if somebody asked me to be their apprentice. A lot of guys have said, well, what if, what if this law enforcement thing happens and you want it? <laughs> want to keep your company running i my my immediate response is i'll just take a break for a few months and then run it part-time when i'm back because i have to go away for a few months i've had a couple guys say this well why don't you train up an apprentice somebody that you know you can rely on to come work for you and have them run the company while you're gone and my response was well anybody who has a skill and talent to run what i'm doing while i'm not around isn't going to kind of want isn't going to want to work for me because if you if i found somebody that was talented enough to do what i'm doing when i'm not around why would you work for me? You do, do it on your own. Well, because they can't tie their shoelaces. Like you well, said, they can't. Well, they don't want them near me. Look, there's there's people that... That's exactly right. There, there are people in this world that will never sign the front of the check. They're only going to sign the back of the check. But they, right. Phil might be a guy that would love to work for you full-time, be a general manager, oh, right? Yep. He'd be capable. So you go... Yep. Let's just play this out, right? Real time on a podcast. You, you go take your law for enforcement job if you get it. You call mm-hmm. Phil up and say, all right, you're full-time now, right? And you and you oversee him, right? You, you give him the coaching two hours a day, three hours a day, whatever it is. Do your law enforcement thing. You can even make him a partner. There's nothing wrong with that. You can make him a 25% or you can strike an equity deal. He might not even need equity or something like that. 
or a right. apprentice, but why would they not do it for themselves? They don't want to spend the money. They don't want to write the check for 500 bucks. They don't have the check. Their parents are employees. They'll always be employees. So look, the world, the business ownership rate in America is only 8%. So 92% of the world will never be a business owner. Right. Working, yep. So th there's, there's the case for it. Uh, why they wouldn't do it. Just like the, just like you said, they can't tie their shoes. They're just not going to be successful and compete with you. If they want to start veteran Woodco number two competitor, they can't tie their, and you're confident in that. You're confident yeah. in that because you know what it takes to really be successful at it. So my take is I would not put the company on pause if you got that law enforcement thing and you want to pursue that. The first thing I would do is get a apprentice and try and keep it rolling. Now that might yeah. mean you have, instead of giving a four week lead time or eight week lead time, you push it out. You, you push, you know, you slow it down a little bit as you bring the apprentice up to speed. But I wouldn't be thinking putting it on the, the maker community project is something different. You put the pause on that. You absolutely right. the right thing. But this thing, I'd, I'd, I'd work my ass off to, to try and keep the thing rolling with an apprentice. I would love to also I'd love to come back on the weekends and get in the garage and do work. Uh, it's just, it's, it's hard finding, and you guys have heard this, it's hard finding good help. And yep. Phil's great. Um, but he, he isn't the guy in, that I'd want to be like, Phil, go run. You're going to be the garage all day by yourself. Right. Not yet. I've been here for a few weeks. Yep. Sure. There are, there are some guys in New Jersey um, who I would love to bring together and come work for either for me or with me. Look, the um, first thing is you're, as you're talking about space, the first thing I'm thinking about is, look, we got a corner in our building, probably not enough space, but we just took on a new space. Now, we're not, we probably aren't the right one, but that type of thing, people that are in the maker community, in sure. the manufacturing space, it's kind of an adjacent. That could be an option too. You, you know, it is. It, it is an option, but it's hard to find um, that real estate that's available. People get freaked out when you start mentioning paint, you know, right. a pot, you know, oh, stuff yeah. like that. Is paint booth? Is it EPA? Like, and then it's you, everyone gets scared. Um, but that's that's kind of what I'm looking for right now. I would love to get a stand, a stand on a building. Yep. Um, but really, it's I'm in like an industrial complex somewhere, single story with some roof vents. Yep. Yeah, you know, garage door and just coming and going. Look, it's yeah. a great, I think Mike said it, uh, great problem to have. you got three good avenues right here. You've proven success in, in, in buckets on each one of them. So you're in a great spot. It's, it's oh, an embarrassment of riches. Not in a bad spot. Uh, I love I love where I'm at and I love the options. And I, if I had no options and this was it, I'd be totally happy with it. The best, sure. thing, the best thing that I love most about, the most thing that I love best about working myself is a schedule. Yep. Um, when it's time to put the, your nose to the grindstone, you got to go. Like there are nights where I tell my wife, listen, I can't eat dinner with you tonight. Just let me know when it's ready and I'll come in and, and suck it down real quick. Um, but then it, there are the days where it's like, hey, babe, I'm going to California for a couple of days to go racing. Or, hey, we're going to go down to the beach for a couple of days. We're going to the Hershey Hotel for a couple of days. We're going to Cabo for a couple of days. And it's I don't have to check with my boss. I don't have to use vacation time. I don't have to call out sick. Like it's just it's just really easy. Um, but that is also back to your very first question. The hardest part about this is time management. Right. For that, well, that was in a similar because you're 40 and you had nine years in law enforcement. Is that right? Yeah, nine, nine, nine plus years, nine, like nine and a half years. Is, is the entrepreneurial life, what you've experienced from 2019 today, uh, is, is that person? There's a lot of people out there, the, the entrepreneurs that they kind of think about starting their own business or buying their own business. What advice would you have kind of now seeing both sides of it for that person? Mm, haven't thought about Great that. Great question. Great question. Yeah. I haven't thought about that. I listen to a lot of podcasts, Ed Milet, all those guys. Um, what advice would I give somebody who wanted to do it? I'd say I'd, I'd ask them to really think about 
what it is they want to get out of it. What, what are you selling? Like what's, what you're selling, um, value your market, like find out what your market is. And then, um, I wouldn't say jump first again. I'd say you'd have to test, test the market. Once you test the market and you got a taste for your, for your audience, that's, that's when you jump. Mm-hmm. Really, I'm, I'm not in a position to be giving advice, but I, I'd say that's the way you would plan is you know, figure out what your product or whatever you're going to be selling is, um, figure out the time management portion of it, find out what the need, where that need fits in the current market. Mm-hmm. And then once you get a taste for it, you can't, you can't like put a foot in to test the water because the water may just take you down with it. You have to jump. Once you get in there and just, just go with it. Right. Yeah. That's pretty that's good cool. advice. Pretty yeah. Good advice. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> my dog. the boss. What's the name? We need a name. What's the name? Well, we got three of them. Which one do you want? I go all three. Uh, the oldest is Zeke. He's here with me. You'd never know it. And he's a Bijan. And then Hayden is the middle child. He's a um, great Pyrenees uh, golden retriever mix. Wow. Or big black golden retriever looking dog. And then Brody is the mouth. He's over to my left. He's uh, he's like a Bichon multi poo mix. He looks like a poodle, poodley, like a white poodley dog. Yeah. So you have hair all over the shop. Is that uh, no. is that no, an they're issue? All, they're all like hypoallergenic. They don't shed much. Caden sheds on like the couch a little bit, but no, they're they come and go in the shop as they please. Fantastic. Yeah. You know. Well, let's see. I've taken I've taken inventory here, and what I've come up with is this. Um. Uh, Mike, you know, Mike, Le, Mike, Legrigny, Mike, Mike, uh, mentor, Marine policeman, activist for the disabled community, husband, dog owner, three times <laughs> car racer. What am I missing? Entrepreneur. Entrepreneur. Oh my God. The most important one. Entrepreneur. Race. Thank card. you. Thank the you. Race- driver the race car driver is interesting how that came about because i've been doing the car thing since i was in high school like my first car 89 5.0 sure we all had a mustang 5.0 <laughs> we all you guys must have had some sort of mustang yep that's a jersey cliche mike <laughs> okay so we know so i started the car thing back then and then uh i remember being told not to come to graduation because i got caught doing like burnouts in, in my senior parking lot like it was, it was bad so my escape that was having my my Marine Corps recruiter, I begged him to come apologize to the vice principal for me so I can go to my graduation. That worked. <laughs> and then, um, like, in Marine Corps, it was just bad because, like, all these bases are surrounded by, like, like beautiful car dealerships. And they want you to spend, like, you know, like, you get, like, 20% interest rates on these ridiculous cars that you can afford anyway. So, anyway, long story short, cars. fast. <laughs> always like drag racing, road racing, you name it. I loved it. And then um, I started tracking, like, road race tracking my own car. Probably in like when I was mid mid twenties, like I started a commercial HVAC rep uh, technician, and my boss was into cars, so he kind of got me back into cars. And then um, took a break while I was a cop, like took an entire break from like hot rodding while I was a cop because it just didn't the lifestyle that didn't work. And then as soon as I left, got right back into it. Picked up a car, started driving it, and then a friend of mine who's a fellow entrepreneur, FBI, says. Um, are you, are you into cars? I was like, yeah. He's like, 
uh, buddy of mine, uh, Daryl on the, on the West coast, he's got this team for veterans that race cars. He's like, you would be a great fit. And I was like, no shit. He's like, yeah. He like takes vets that are like, you know, looking for like a mission and he's got like a whole crew of like pit teams and he's got like two cars and it's called after action racing. He's like, you guys would hit it off. And I was like, well, put him in touch. And Daryl calls me up. This was like two years ago. And we had like a phone interview and I had no idea about like what I was getting into. And he's like, Hey, what's up? And he had like a, somebody, he's like, Hey, what's up, Daryl, you know? And like typical Daryl accent. And he's like, what kind of cars are you driven? And I'll, oh, I've driven these, this, that. And he's like, all stick shift. I'm like, yes, sir. He's like, you know how to double, double heel club. Like, and he was like, just testing my knowledge. Like you double clutch. And I'm like, no, he's like, good. He's like, can you heel toe? I'm like, no, I don't heel toe. He's like, and he was asking me all these silly questions. What tracks have you been to? He's like, can you send me like, um, a track resume of what tracks you've raced at. And I did, I sent him a couple of tracks like Pocono, mid Ohio, Watkins Glen, all these famous tracks. And he's like, all right, uh, you're, you're, you're on the team. You're going to be the fast car. <laughs> <laughs> like, what's, the, what's the fast car? And he's like, it's a Mustang, it's like complete tube chassis has a fucking 500 horsepower LS Chevy in it. You know, 26 point roll cage, you know, wide tires. Uh, he's like next race is in, um, what is it? Oregon ORP. It was 103 degrees out. 103 degrees, 130 on the tarmac. I had such a blast. So now what Daryl did, he set up, um, he's working on the nonprofit status. Is, is, uh, it's a race team. He's fully funded it himself. Got two cars. He's the mechanic. And he'll bring in veterans that are looking to like experience that thrill and that mission that we, we lack so much. And once he vets you, if you're able to, he'll put you in the slow car and work you up to the fast car um and now it's to the point where like daryl and i and like a couple other guys are kind of like taking over the fast car that's pretty cool and, and we race in a league it's called lucky dog racing and it's strictly on the west coast there's a couple i think they have a race in south carolina this year and they do atlanta also but it's mostly on the west coast like up and down california oregon portland uh washington state where that's when that's where they all live so that's why they kind of gravitated towards that sanctioned body and it's a blast like it's you strapped like it's so here's here's how here's why it's even better there are always two day races. It's a three day event. Friday's practice, Saturday and right. Sunday. They're eight hour races. So it's not like you're out there for half an hour. You're eight hour races, two hour driver stints, right? So it's like from here to Atlantic city, as fast as you can go. Like you're full out the whole time. So for two hours, helmet cage, like harnesses, cool suit. You got a little thing like camelback. If you want water, like you could barely see your mirrors There's nets up there, you know, window nets, fire extinguisher, and you're racing for eight hours a day, and it's a cool. blast. So that's that, uh, that is pretty cool. Yeah, you can't say so. Like they just offered me the seat to drive next weekend, and I was like, I'll be there. Wow, you're flying out to the West Coast then? Yeah, Sonoma. It's at Sonoma, which is just north of San Francisco. Perfect. Uh, fly out, probably catch a, uh, an Uber or some sort of car. Wow. It's like an hour ride, and then just we crash in a motorhome all weekend and just barbecue. Drive, barbecue, turn wrenches, eat, like turn wrenches, sleep, turn wrenches, barbecue, race. And it's just, it's like bromance time all weekend, surrounded by a bunch of dudes that want nothing more than go fast and work on cars. That's, that's pretty cool. You yeah. want to do something nice? It's, it's Sonoma. Bring a, bring a case of Pinot back with you for the, for your wife. <laughs> do the right thing. Just do the right thing. I will. I invited her to come, but she wants to go to uh, Italy for her 40th. So we got to like, it's one or the other. Oh, my. <laughs> well, good yeah. for you. Fantastic. Well, look, this is good stuff here, Mike. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me, uh, veteranwoodco.com. Uh, 
Veteran Woodco. It's at Veteran Woodco on Instagram and Facebook. The Maker Community Project is makercommunityproject.org. Um, that's really it. I'll give are you a, I'm curious, are you a uh, Twitter aficionado or no? No, I'm not, I'm not on Twitter. Yep. No, no, Twitter, no, uh, no TikTok, just Facebook and Instagram and website. Uh, also, Etsy is Veteran Woodco. Got it. Okay. Good. Well, this has been a real pleasure. I've enjoyed every minute of this podcast. I really have. Thanks, guys. And, uh, I appreciate it. Look, well, uh, and and uh, we'd be remiss to say, look, thank you for your service. Uh, I love following your journey. Absolutely. We'd love to have you on again in the future. Absolutely. Thanks. Thank you for your double service. And by the way, that's exactly right. Uh, we need to find out in a couple of months or so how all this works out. So, you know. And I think, and I think the people that really, there are people that are loyal to this podcast. I think they're going to, they're going to want to know too. So, I, so there's, another, there's another part of this that's already happened that I can't talk about because of the job opportunity that if I talk about it, I would lose it. So no, if no, they, I, no, no. So if they know, here's the thing. If they say, if they pass on me, I've got a whole nother journey I want to share with you guys. Yep. Um, but if they say yes, then it never happened. But it, right. but but it's already happened. What, what's the time frame? Give us the time frame. When do we have to come back to you? Uh, they're supposed to they're supposed to tell me this month whether or not it's it's green light. Good. We'll give let's give it a couple of months, a month or a couple of or two months, and we'll come back and oh, that would be fantastic. We'd love that. Yeah. So looking for here's Brody. You want to say hi? Let's <laughs> let's see Brody. We've had a few dogs introduced on this podcast before. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right well we're, we've approached we've approached pino time mike it is pino time. Brody. Oh, hey brody oh my brody. he's a cutie <laughs> great looking dog all right guys Enjoy. have a glass for me we will cheers mike thank you so much for having me on i appreciate it you guys thank you thank you very very much good thank job you. mike take care now. Thank you.